Genesis chapter 3, let's get right down into it. I consider it a great privilege to be filling the pulpit for Dad tonight. I'm excited to hear from the Lord and to uh, allow the Lord to speak to us. Listen, every time we gather together and every time we open up God's Word, and every, every time we gather together as a body of believers under the Lordship of the Chief Shepherd, Jesus Christ, God wants to individually speak to you. Are you ready for the Lord to speak to you tonight? Let's open our ears, open our hearts, not to hear from me, but to hear from God's Word, to hear from the Lord, because what an amazing thing to hear from the God of the universe who cares and loves for each and every one of you individually and personally, and He desires to speak to you tonight. So let's open up our hearts, Lord, uh, and just ask Him just to take the the blinders off, uh, open up our ears so that we can hear from Him tonight. Starting in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read the first seven verses together. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Uh, Tonight, my title is uh, The War Within, The Battle Against Temptation. The War Within, and it's a lesson on fighting temptation. Now, here in Genesis chapter 3, we see the beginning of sin's entrance into humanity. Uh, Sin means to rebel or disobey God. Uh, and a show of hands, who has ever felt the, the pressures of temptation in, in your life? Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure I was with the right crowd tonight. My goal in tonight's message and in, in, in tonight's Bible study is uh, to encourage us, to sharpen us, to caution us, to counsel us, to equip us through the teaching of God's Word on how to fight temptation. Because here we understand that humanity meets sin through the door of temptation. Humanity meets sin through the door of temptation. And only one chapter later in Genesis chapter 4, God actually has a conversation with Adam and Eve's firstborn son, Cain. And God tells Cain, before Cain, if you know the story, Cain uh, murders his younger brother Abel. Before that uh, happens, God actually has a conversation with Abel. And he tells Abel, listen, Abel, or he tells Cain rather, Cain, listen, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. But you must master it. That's the same call in all of our lives as well. Now, being tempted in and of itself, the Bible says, is not a sin. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. Um, Even Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says, Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, yet He was without sin. So temptation in and of itself isn't sin, but entertaining temptation to the point of giving in to sin, that's where the sin lies. 
When we entertain temptation and when we give in to the temptation, that's where then sin has its fruit. And the Bible says that sin leads to death. Now, many of us ask the question, well, how far is too far till something turns into sin? How far is too far? Like maybe regarding sexual sin, how far is too far? Maybe with a little bit of gambling. Well, it was only a $50 buy into the fantasy league. Or anger. When does anger become sin? Because I know that not all anger, the Bible says, is wrong. So how far is too far? How close to the edge can I get? But when we ask that question, we have to understand we're asking the wrong question. Listen, if we are driving on a a steep mountain, and there's a road, and there's a steep cliff without any guardrails, none of us ask how far to the edge of the cliff can I get so that I still remain safe, but that the drive remains interesting? Okay, no, no one asks that question. Rather, the question you pose is, where are the guardrails? Where are the guardrails? And in the same sense, we have to be asking that in our lives. Where are our guardrails in our fight against temptation? We have to learn to put up some biblical guardrails as safeguards in our lives So that we might be able to fully enjoy the drive of life without the constant worries and pressures of falling into the same habitual sin that has been chasing after us all of our lives. So no one asks the question, how far to the edge can I get of the cliff so that the drive still remains fun? We always are looking for those guardrails. It's the same way of life. We have to be looking for and putting up biblical guardrails in our life to keep us from the edge of danger. And notice on highways, and whenever you come across guardrails, guardrails are always put within the safety zone. Okay, they're never put right on the edge. They're always pulled within a couple of feet into the safety zone. We have to be serious about putting up same biblical guardrails in our life. And we're going to look at those different guardrails as we go through our study in Genesis chapter 3. But first, in order to fight temptation, we have to understand the nature of temptation. Okay, no one goes into battle without first understanding the enemy. We have to understand the nature of temptation. But before we understand the nature of temptation, we actually first have to understand the nature of man. We have to understand ourselves. So in Genesis chapter 1... Verse 26, it talks about how God created man. Uh, Man was created in the image and likeness of God. In the image and likeness of God. Now, image and likeness, two Hebrew words, uh, image, salem, and likeness, demuth. And both of those Hebrew words actually have to do uh, with the picture of an icon. In the Greek, actually, in the Greek Septuagint, um, likeness is actually... E-I-K-O-N, icon, where we get our English word icon. Uh, Both of these Hebrew words, Salem and Demuth, have to do with an idol or an icon. Now that's kind of interesting because we always think of an idol as being a a bad thing. But in this sense, God has created us in His image and His likeness. Listen, an idol, what's the purpose of an idol? Well, the purpose of an idol is to bear the image of something more superior. So in the same way, you're seeing the connection. God has created us as his image bearers. We are designed and we're created to be his image bearers, to be his representatives on this earth, to be his uh, reflections to the rest of uh, a dying world. All of us were created in his image. 
But also, we were created as volitional beings, meaning we, were, we have the, the power, we were designed with the power to make decisions freely. Listen, God has given all of us a free will, and free will is essential to God's plan of redemption. God has given man a free will because a true love relationship requires it. God does not want a robotic, forced response from us. He designed and innately created us with a free will so that we could freely respond in love to the Lord. But we have to understand that with free will also comes choice. The choice to either respond in love and obedience to the Lord or the choice to rebel against Him. We were designed with a free will. And we were created to be God's image bearers, but here in Genesis chapter 3, we see that this image is tarnished because of sin and giving in to temptation when Adam and Eve deliberately chose to rebel against God. And now think of all the consequences, all of the evils in, uh, on this earth, all of the, the death and the murder and the hatred. It stemmed from one incident when man forsook God's guardrails. God gave guardrails. You can eat of all of the trees of the garden except one. Those were his guardrails. Adam and Eve chose to go outside of those guardrails, forsook the guardrails, were tempted, gave into temptation, sin, sin leads to death. Thus, we are all born now with the same heart condition, wicked, evil, sinful, bad people. Listen, we have to understand as well that mankind, you know, our modern day concept of man is, well, we're, deep down inside, we're all good people. We're all good. Deep down inside. Listen, that is not biblical. We are all bad, wicked, sinful people. The Bible says that no one is good, no, not one, no one is righteous. In the book of Psalms, it says that no one seeks God. I have a two-year-old daughter. Her name is Ava. Uh, No one had to tell her how to misbehave. She did that perfectly well all on her own because she's a sinner. Now, she's the cutest little sinner I've ever known, but she is a sinner because When Adam and Eve sinned, they passed down sin nature and the condition of our hearts now is corrupt and evil from birth. That's what David says. Even before I was born, I was a sinner, David basically says. So we have to understand this about ourselves that no one is good, no one is righteous. And when we understand this about our own sinful condition, then we are able to better fight temptation in our lives. When we know our sinful state. So how do we fight against it? Well, in order to fight against temptation, now we must understand the nature of temptation. Let's look back at our text in verse 1. Understanding the nature of temptation. Now that we understand the nature of man. In verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Uh, So the serpent... The Bible actually never identifies the serpent by name. It's actually serpents, the Hebrew word nahash, nahash, and it appears 31 times in the Old Testament. Uh, The verb form nahash means to practice sorcery, to practice divination. Uh, The New Testament, we always complement scripture with scripture. The New Testament in Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 20, it refers to this serpent as Satan. It calls Satan that ancient serpent of old. 
the dragon, Satan, the devil. So we know here from Revelation chapter 12 and 20 that this is Satan. And it says that he said to the woman in verse one, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So the nature of temptation, the nature of temptation, temptation attacks God's word. Temptation attacks God's word. Satan in serpentine appearance comes to Eve and attacks God's word by lying about God's initial instruction. If you notice here, Satan told Eve, God said, you shall not eat of every tree. But we know from Genesis 1:29, God told them, you may eat of all the trees except one. So Satan comes along, attacks God's word, and lies to Eve and says, Does God, did, did God really say you shall not eat of every tree? Satan attacks God's word. Listen, when we are faced with temptation, whether being tempted by Satan, by our own fleshly desires, temptation always makes us question God's word. Did God really say that? Did God really say it's wrong to do this? Does God really say that this behavior or this lifestyle is wrong? Temptation always twists God's word. The nature of temptation, number two, temptation tells us what we want to hear. Temptation tells us what we want to hear. Look at verse four. Verse four, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat of it, Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there Satan says, you won't surely die. Basically doing this won't have consequences. Indulging in this won't lead to addictive behavior. And when temptation tells us what we want to hear, then it makes us start to question God and his goodness. We start to think God is the liar. God is holding out on me. My feelings are superior God is a killjoy. This pleasure is what will bring me fulfillment and full joy. But God is holding out on me. Temptation will tell you about all the pleasures, all the fun, all the benefits, but it will never tell you about the consequences. Temptation loves to whisper into our ears, telling us what we want to hear about the benefits, about the pleasures of sin, which the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a time, but it will never tell you the consequences. Thirdly, the nature of temptation, temptation appeals to our senses. Look at verse six. Temptation appeals to our senses in verse six. So when the woman saw, you can either highlight or circle some of these words. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So the Bible says she saw, she ate. Listen, the enemy loves to use things that we find attractive and appealing to lure us in. I love um, fishing, especially in the summer with my dad, fishing growing up. That was one of the ways we bonded uh, growing up. And we still, you know, life's gotten a little bit busier uh, for the both of us. But in the summertime, uh, we'll always try to make at least one or a couple of different occasions where we go fishing together. And uh, if if you know anything about fishing or you're familiar with fishing, you love fishing, then you're probably familiar that there, uh, and aware that there are different uh, fish attractants. 
And there's actually a fish attractant. It's called liquid mayhem. And uh, it's just a kind of a sticky substance that you actually uh, put on the, the bait. And you rub it on the bait. And it's um, this specific one, liquid mayhem, it's made of uh, shad, which is a fish. And so then you cast it into the water. And it is very appealing and attractive to the scent and the taste of the fish. It lures the fish in. And the whole design and purpose is to target the fish's sense of smell and sense of taste, which attracts them then to your hook. Temptation is the same way. It appeals to our senses and it lures us in until we're hooked. Okay, if I could give you a picture of what temptation looks like, here's a picture. So this is a deep sea anglerfish. Now, if you notice, protruding from its head, this is the ugliest looking thing probably that God has ever created. (laughs) Sorry, Lord. But if you notice, it has a rod protruding from its head, and then at the top is a little blob, and it uh, completely, uh, all the time, it illuminates a, a light, and it attracts fish to its light. And so this is the image of temptation. They wave it to entice their prey and then obviously eat their prey because the fish was attracted to the the glowing light. This is the picture of temptation in our lives, church. Temptation attacks God's word. Temptation tells us what we want to hear and temptation appeals to our senses. Now, how do we fight it? How do we fight it? By putting in place biblical guardrails. So guardrail number one, recognize that you're in a battle. How do I fight the temptation warring within me? Recognize that you're in a battle. It's guardrail number one. You don't have to turn there or you can if you'd like. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 and 17. And this is Paul writing to the church at Galatia. And Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit... And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'll read that again. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit lusts against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So Paul is saying here that there are two forces... Your flesh, which is your sinful nature, and the spirit, which God has given to every believer who submits to him. Your flesh and the spirit, two forces, but Paul says that these two forces, they are contrary to one another. The ESV says that they are opposed to one another. Uh, The NIV says that they are in constant conflict with one another. The Greek word is antikomai, and it's actually a military term that means to be in war or to be constantly fighting in battle. The NLT puts it this way, the spirit and the flesh are constantly fighting each other. Church, we need to recognize that we're in the midst of a battle. Listen, half the battle is recognizing that you're in one. When you get that part down, you got half the battle down. Because most of us are walking around not even realizing that we are in the midst of a daily battle. We have to constantly be on guard, constantly be aware, constantly allowing the Spirit to be speaking to us. We're on the battlefield every day, and if you're not aware of this, then you're going to take a bullet. Uh, Years ago, my dad was at a conference, and he's told this from the pulpit before. 
uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a good one, so I'll remind you of it. Uh, maybe you haven't heard it before, but my dad was speaking at a conference years ago. I went with him, and uh, after the conference, there was kind of like a question and answer portion, and so dad was on stage, and people just could raise their hands freely and ask, ask dad questions, and at the time, I was maybe 11, 12 years old, and I re- distinctly remember uh, a 20-something-year-old guy. He stood up, raised his hand. He said, hey, Pastor Gary, I have a question. And he asked, he said, does, uh, regarding sexual temptation, does sexual temptation get easier the older you get? And before my dad could even answer, uh, an 80, 85-year-old man, he, he, he stood up, he raised his hand, and he said, I can answer that question. It doesn't get better. And then he sat back down. And my first thought was like, man, that's really depressing. For me, as a 12-year-old kid, that is really depressing. And then the second thought, I was like, you dirty old man. You dirty old man. But this is the fact of the matter. Listen, until the day we die, until the day we go to be with the Lord in eternity, we will constantly be living in these bodies of flesh with the temptation of the world and the pleasures of the world constantly whispering into our ears, fighting against The spirit that we have been given by the Lord. And we have to realize that we are in the midst of this battle. And the conflict will never stop until we are perfected in the glory of the Lord. That is guardrail number one. Recognize that you are in a battle. Guardrail number two. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. James 4.7. James 4.7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, We do not war against flesh and blood, but we war against principalities and the authorities of the darkness. First, uh, Peter In 1 Peter 5, 8-9, through 9, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. James 4, 7, resist the devil. But listen, here's the key. What many people leave out is the sentence before that. Do you know the sentence before that? It says, submit to God, therefore, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen, a lot of, the, a lot of people want the devil to flee from them, but they're not willing to submit to the Lord's way. This goes hand in hand. We have to first be willing to submit to the Lord, submit to the Lord's way, submit to the Lord's will, submit to the the Lord's word and how he tells us to live and behave under his lordship before we are able to resist the devil. Are you submitting to the Lord? Are you surrendering your life to the Lord with your speech, with your attitude, with your habits, with your mind, with your thoughts? So how do we resist the devil in temptation? By first submitting ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And many of us are walking in this life, scared of temptation, scared of Satan, wanting to quote this verse, resist the devil and he will flee from you, but we are not willing to submit to the Lord's way and our behavior does not reflect who our Lord is. Submit to the devil therefore and he will flee from you. That's guardrail number two, resist the devil. Guardrail number three, remove yourself from tempting environments. Remove yourself from tempting environments. 
And the key verse here is Galatians 6, 8. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, it says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Listen, we have to be willing to remove things, people, remove ourselves from those environments that tempt us. I always find it interesting that within the body of believers, us as as Christians, we are so frustrated by temptation that continues to just war within us and temptation that is just constantly before us. And we're always frustrated that Satan in our flesh constantly seem to be winning. And yet, you're still going to those parties. You're still hanging out with those people. You're still hanging out with people who don't influence you towards the Lord, but influence you away from the Lord with your speech and with your behavior and with your lifestyle. It's no coincidence that temptation is hard to ignore when we constantly insert ourselves into tempting environments. Remove yourself or remove from yourself different people, different things, different objects, different items that are constantly feeding our flesh and then we will be able to resist the devil to not give in to temptation, to follow after the Spirit when we just get things out of our lives. And, you know, I know that the tug and pull is, well, I still need to have non-believing friends so that I can reach them with the gospel. And that's true. I'm not saying to shelter yourself to the point where you're also not effective and you're also not a light into the workforce or into the people's and friends and family members' lives that don't know the Lord. That is needed. There is a place for us being, obviously, the light of the world, going into the world and being that light to a lost, dying, unbelieving world. Um, but I think sometimes we use that as an excuse as, as, and as a justification as to why we can still go to those places, why we can still hang with those people. Uh, remove yourself from those places and those environments that don't better your walk with Christ, that don't edify yourself, that don't edify your family, and walk in the Spirit. Guardrail number four, the most important guardrail that tends to be overlooked Remember, you have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to park it right here for the remainder of our Bible study. Remember, you have the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 through 17. Jesus said, And I will pray to the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus' promise to His twelve disciples that the Spirit would dwell within them. This is Galatians 5.16. I read it before. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Romans 8.11, one of my favorite verses, blows my mind. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives within you. Do you believe this, church? The same power, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives within you. 1 John 4.4 John, the apostle, wrote to his church. He said, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. You have 
the Holy Spirit. Church, listen, you are not alone in this fight. You have the Holy Spirit. Temptation always starts in the mind. Temptation always starts in the mind. Romans 12, 2, Paul says that we have to therefore have the transformation. Transformation comes through the the renewal of our minds. And the only other word that that Greek word renewal, the only other time that that word appears outside of Romans 12, 2 is in the book of Titus, Titus 3, 5. Nowhere in the Greek Old Testament, Septuagint, does this word appear. Nowhere else in the New Testament other than Romans 12, 2 does this word appear than in Titus 3, 5. And Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which have been done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. So how does the renewal, the renewing of the mind happen? It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3, 5. The only way our minds can be renewed is through the Holy Spirit. Now the question becomes, how does this Spirit-empowered renewal happen so that the mind can be transformed to stop wanting what my flesh wants and to start craving the desires of the Spirit? Key verse here, jot down 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, there's that word, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, Paul says that the key to a transformed mind is the steady gaze upon the glory of Jesus Christ. And we need the Holy Spirit to do two things. To work from the outside within, putting before us God-glorifying truths from His Word to encourage us. And we need the Holy Spirit to work inside of us outward. By softening our hard hearts of pride and giving us a heart of flesh. To be sensitive to God, what do you want? What do you want in my life? What glorifies you? What honors you? What in my life do you disapprove of that I might confess and give to you and commit to you? So we have to have the Holy Spirit do two things. A working outside to the in and a working inward to the out. And church, it comes just through constant prayer and gazing upon the glory of Jesus Christ. Another verse, 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this world, that is Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The devil fears one thing more than anything, you're seeing the glory of Christ. The devil fears one thing more than anything, and it is you seeing in the Spirit and in the mind of the Spirit, the glory of Christ. And the way we participate in this and this feeding of the Spirit is to stop feeding our flesh. And Galatians 6, 8 says, For he who sows to the flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will reap everlasting life. So the question you have to ask yourself is, which appetite am I feeding? Which appetite am I feeding? Are you feeding the things of the flesh? Or are you feeding the things of the Spirit? Because the appetite you feed the most will be the very thing that overwhelms you and consumes you. Which appetite are 
you feeding? Because when you develop an appetite for something and you taste it, you naturally want more of it. Um, Years ago, and this happened around the same time in that conference, I was probably 10 or 11 years old, and you might have heard this story as well. This is a story from Dad. It's a good one. Uh, But uh, we had a dog... And I told this to the young adults on Monday night because um, we were kind of talking uh, along the same light here. But we had a dog. Her name was Augie. And we called her Augie the Doggy. And uh, she was just a beautiful dog, um, Labrador Retriever, Chocolate Lab. And uh, just what, what an awesome dog. She's a uh, rest, rest in peace, Augie. She's gone to be with the Lord. Uh, we miss her. We love her. Um, but one of these days, uh, my family and I, we went out to dinner. And uh, we just let Augie roam free one of these nights for whatever reason. And uh, we came back, and all over the floor, a diarrhea and throw up. Just all, all over the floor. And we got home, and, and my parents looked at me like, like I was the culprit. It's like, I've been with you the whole time. What are you talking about? And so then we, we finally tracked down the, the culprit, and it was Augie. She was just passed out, laying there on the floor. And we found out uh, in my parents' room, she had gotten into a half a pound of Dove dark chocolate. And so my dad got on the phone, called Poison Control, and he was like, hey, just describe the scenario. My dog, she's about 70 pounds, got into a half a pound of Dove dark chocolate. And if you're a dog lover like me, you know that, that dark chocolate is poisonous to dogs. And so they asked my dad for the weight of the dog, the height of the dog, and they measured the ratio of the weight to the amount of chocolate. And they said, okay, good news, uh, your dog won't die. Uh, but it will continue to have diarrhea and vomit for the next week. So that was, a, that was at least a better, we were willing to deal with that. But one thing that the doctor told my dad that we will never forget, the doctor said, listen, once she has tasted chocolate, she will always crave it. You have to keep it away. You have to keep chocolate away, put it up high. You have to just be extra cautious when it comes to chocolate because now that she has tasted it, she will always crave it. It's the same thing with temptation and sin in our lives. Once we give in to sin and temptation in our lives, once we have tasted it, it builds a natural appetite and a desire to crave it again. And the only way that you ignore and disregard the appetites of sin that we have already tasted is when you learn to starve it. Starving that appetite. You have to starve it. Because once we taste sin and we give into it, Because the Bible says sin is fun and sin is pleasing for a season, naturally we will begin to crave it. And then the steady slope begins. We taste it, we crave it, we want it again, and we go back to it. We have to starve those appetites. James 1, 14 through 15 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown brings forth death. We have to feed the Spirit. So how do we feed the Spirit? We spend time in His Word, church. We spend time in His Word. Your Word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119. Spend time in His Word. Listen, get before Him and pray. Remove things in your life that don't edify yourself or your walk with the Lord. Surround yourself with like-minded believers. Listen, we have to be serious about the discipline of prayer and reading His Word in our lives. And I know that especially in Loudoun County, we all have what we think are busy schedules. 
But if we are serious about starving the appetites of our flesh, and if we are serious about putting behind the same habits and the same desires, the same sinful passions that we have been struggling with for years, when are you going to get serious? And I speak this to myself, and I say this in love, but it will take discipline. It takes discipline. The walk with Christ is a life of discipline. Get in the Word. Get alone and pray and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter says. The way we starve those appetites is when we stop indulging in the sinful nature. We stop doing those things. We remove them out of our lives and then we just focus on the Spirit. We focus on the Lord. We get alone with Him. We read His Word. Even a chapter a, chapter a day. Something I'm, I'm doing right now as I'm going through Scripture... And so this year started in Genesis and reading two chapters in Genesis, one chapter in Psalms. Two chapters in Genesis, one chapter in Psalms. I'm not providing something as a form of legalism like, hey, here's what you should do, but just as kind of uh, some, some uh, boundaries, just as a way to maybe encourage you to get started. Just two chapters in Genesis, one chapter in Psalms, make your way through Scripture, and then just pray the words of what you read. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Read that chapter. Go into your prayer closet. Lord, create a new heart and a new spirit in my life. Just as you spoke the universe into being, just as you spoke the earth and everything in it, Lord, your words have power, Lord. Speak into my heart. Speak into my life. Get into your closet and just read His Word and then pray the words of Scripture. Get the Spirit Uh, invite the Spirit into that time. Get the Word of God into your minds, into your hearts, that it might guard your minds, guard your hearts. It's a way we starve the flesh and we bring forth righteousness in our lives and we feed the Spirit. So recognize that you're in a battle. It's guardrail number one. Guardrail number two, resist the devil. Number three, remove yourself from tempting environments. And guardrail number four, remember, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, church. But let me close by encouraging you with this verse. Hebrews 4.15. I want you to write that down. Hebrews 4.15. The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. For we have one who was in every way tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace for help in time of need. Isn't that a beautiful promise, church? That we know Jesus was tempted just as we are. Therefore, when we go to the Lord within our prayer time, we know that God doesn't... He's not just sitting up there like, listen, you know, I'll, I'm there for you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to give you my spirit. But I have no idea what you're going through. He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who allowed Himself to be tempted to feel our pain, to feel our struggle, to, fear where you've, to feel where you've been, so that when you pray to the Lord, we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, for he was in every way tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Therefore, it says, boldly approach the throne of grace, for God will give you grace and help in time of need. 
boldly approach the throne of grace. Listen, in your shame and in your guilt from past sins and past mistakes, you do not have to be ashamed to go to God because Jesus knows what you're going through. He was tempted just as we are. He can sympathize and empathize with our weaknesses. The Bible says that Jesus is interceding for us daily to the Father. You can boldly approach His throne of grace and He will amply supply you with what you need. That's a promise from Scripture. Temptation and sin offer so much, but deliver very little. Temptation and sin offer so much, but deliver very little. There's only one who offers everything. There's only one who offers everything and was able to perform it and is able to deliver it. And his name is Jesus Christ. It's the only place in the arms of Jesus Christ where you will find all of the joy, all of the satisfaction that you've been searching for in a thousand other places. It's right there for you in the arms of Jesus Christ. And as the body of believers, let me encourage you tonight with that verse from Hebrews 4.15 and just a reminder I know you know this church, but just as a reminder that all of the joy and satisfaction and the pleasures of life that you've been searching for outside of the cross and outside of Christ, they are found in the loving arms of Jesus. In Him, you will fully be satisfied. You will fully find joy. You will fully find rest. You will fully find that peace that you think you can find in something else, in another relationship or in another drink or whatever it might be. It is found in the arms of Jesus Christ. Run to Him. Know that there is grace for us. That God's grace goes deeper than our sin. That He desires to have relationship with you. That He wants us to continue to participate in our feeding of the Spirit by getting alone with Him, by reading His Word, by praying to Him, by asking Him to help us, by giving us an extra portion of His Holy Spirit to help us in this fight of temptation. Know that you're not alone. You have His Spirit. We have each other. My goal, and hopefully, was just to encourage you tonight and just to remind you that we're all in this fight together. It's a daily fight to resist the temptation in our lives that daily whispers to us, but to not go there, but to find life and fulfillment in the arms of our Father and in the arms of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Lord, we come before you and we do just ask that you would help us, Lord, that you would continue to be with us, that you would speak to us daily through your word, Lord, that we would be disciplined in this fight against temptation. Lord, we are in a daily battle, Lord, where there are two forces, the flesh and the spirit, and those forces war against each other, Lord. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would guard our hearts, that you would guard our minds. Maybe someone even tonight was considering and has been contemplating just giving in to a certain or specific temptation, Lord, whether that's just continuing to just go into just anger or uh, lust or um, just not having the patience we need, Lord. And so we're just, we're just tempted and we're, we're, we feel the arrows of the enemy just coming against us from all different directions, Lord, just warring against our flesh. Lord, I pray that tonight, Lord, in the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would help us in that fight against temptation, Lord, that we would live holy lives in pursuit after you, Lord, that we would starve the flesh and that we would feed the Spirit, Lord. But it's not going to come unless you give us your Holy Spirit, Lord. We, we need your Spirit. We need your help, Lord, in this constant battle, Lord. 
And so we just petition you tonight and we ask that you would hear us, Lord, that you would help us. And what an amazing promise it is, Lord, in Hebrews 4. Lord, we are so grateful that we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who is, not, who, who is able to empathize and sympathize with our weaknesses, Lord. And because of that, Lord, we can boldly approach your throne of grace. And you will amply supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. And so we humble ourselves before you, Lord. Give us a heart of flesh. Remove our hearts of stone, Lord. Help us to recognize when we're being tempted. Help us to resist the devil. Submit to you, Lord. Help us to remember that we have the Holy Spirit. God, we just pray all of these things in Jesus' name, that you would build us up tonight, that you would encourage us as we go about the rest of our week, Lord. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.